on the cross of Christ this morning. We know that Easter Sunday is the day where we celebrate most clearly his resurrection. Because we understand that the resurrection of Christ is what validated, if you will, the death of Christ. The Apostle Paul said to the Corinthian Christians, he said, If Christ be not risen, then your faith is in vain. Indeed, our preaching is in vain. There's nothing to it if Christ is not risen. But his understanding was that Christ is risen. There is that historical event. There is historical record. There is facts that, facts that back that up. And because of that resurrection, we meet here. Really because of that resurrection, we meet every Sunday. And that is our resurrection day. That is our celebration every week that we, we cry out, Christ is risen today. Hallelujah. We're thankful for that because the Spirit of God has worked in our hearts and in our lives as believers and have drawn us to himself and opened our eyes to see that resurrection, to understand that resurrection, and to know the indwelling the Holy Spirit that gives us resurrection power to live life, to face life, to experience life every single day. But we sang about the cross this morning. Not that we're neglecting the resurrection, because we're not. The resurrection was all through it. But there is that reality and that understanding that we must understand what took place on that cross for the resurrection to make any sense at all, for Christianity to make any sense at all. Because we are a faith that says Christ is risen. We are a faith that says Christ died in our place. He died as our substitute. He died as our sacrifice, fulfilling all of the Old Testament sacrifices that had ever been given. You, re you remember all through the Old Testament, every year in different times, the Jewish people would come together to worship and they would offer sacrifices, maybe a bull this time, maybe a lamb another time, maybe doves for another offering. But they came and they gave sacrifices of blood of animals to celebrate the Passover to celebrate the forgiveness that comes from God. But every one of those, every single one of those sacrifices was not fulfilled in itself. It was not effective in itself. Every one of those sacrifices was pointing to a future event. Every one of those sacrifices was saying there is yet a time coming when there will be the perfect sacrifice given, when there will be the perfect Lamb of God offered in our place as our sacrifice, and with that will come the end of all sacrifices. As far as animals and fruit and vegetables go, and it will then become a point of we are living sacrifices who know the Lord Jesus Christ, who are giving of ourselves every day for him and for his service. That's, that's a living sacrifice that goes on. But the sacrifices of the law are fulfilled in that great sacrifice of Jesus. I'm always amazed when Easter week starts rolling around to start looking at some of the news journals. Three weeks ago, Time Magazine had a, a, a spread on the 10 ideas that were most affecting America today and interestingly among all sorts of things that I didn't even understand they threw in there a form of Christianity a, a branch of Christianity if you will and said one of the things that's really going to be the idea that's going to affect America is the new Calvinism 
indicating that evidently Christianity is having an impact upon ideas and upon culture today. Then last week, Newsweek comes out with their uh, uh, Easter issue. And basically they say it's the decline and fall of Christian America. Well, we understand that America can't be a Christian. Only individuals can be Christians. I mean, we have a large population of Christians in this nation. But we're, you know, they, they don't even understand it. And then NPR, I was interesting yesterday to do a little search on, on something. And, and NPR, not known as your evangelical conservative uh, source of the news, had a major program and a major show that basically was entitled in, Glo in Global Revival of Religion, God is Back. So, time says Christianity's having an impact. It's an idea that's affecting our world. Newsweek says it's dying, and NPR, of all people, says God's back. There's a global revival of religion. Christianity's growing again and, and being taken seriously again. Now, somebody wrote me an, uh, an email last week and said, what do you make of all this? And I said, what I make of all this is Time, Newsweek, NPR, probably none of them really have a clue about what Christianity's all about. But it makes good stories on Easter week. It makes good stories as, as the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ, are focusing on the passion of Christ and are focusing upon the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Last Sunday on Palm Sunday at Grace, we looked at, at four sayings, four words of Christ from the cross, four things that he said in relating to his death or in, in relation to his death. Today I want us to look at the last three and just think about what they mean for a moment. We won't dwell on any one of them too long, but I think it's important as we celebrate the resurrection that we understand what the resurrection was really the culmination of and the validation of on the cross. Three statements and all related to those last moments. Now if you weren't with us last Sunday, I want you to understand we'll look at three different gospels this morning to get those three statements. And some people would look at it and say, well, the God, which one's right? Why don't all the Gospels tell all the things? And, and I just said each of the Gospels is looking at the cross and recording what was remembered by eyewitnesses there. But if you and I were to talk about certain things, if, if you were to take notes on this sermon today and you walk out of here and get with three or four people this afternoon and say, well, let's, let's look at what Bill said this morning. And this is just an hour or two afterwards. You'd probably have different things that you wrote down as being important. If the church had really wanted to pull the wool over the world's eyes, then all they would have had to have done was early on to have gotten together and said, okay, now, what are we going to say about this? Let's get all seven things together. Let's be together on these things so nobody will doubt it. They didn't do that because these are not contrived documents. These are the writings of those who saw Christ dying on the cross and what they remembered and what they saw as important as they heard the cries of Christ from the cross. The first one is found in Matthew's Gospel. In chapter 27 and verse 46, beginning in verse 45, this is what Matthew records. He said, now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me. It's been hanging there for several hours now. 
He's been thirsty. He's, he's been in pain. He's, he's suffered the, the feelings of suffocation as he hangs on the cross and tries to draw breaths as his body pulls against his diaphragm and his lungs, and he, 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 can't, he, he, can't, uh, he, he can't hardly survive physically. But I want you to understand that this statement here, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is not a physical cry. It's not saying, boy, the pain of these nails in my, in my hands and in my feet are unbearable. It's not saying that just hanging here is such a physical horror. But really what he's saying is a spiritual statement. Because it's at that moment as he is approaching death, as he is hanging there, as who John called, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As he's hanging there, he is beginning to experience, he is experiencing the most horror of horrors spiritually that you could ever imagine. He is experiencing our sin, my sin and your sin being placed upon him and he is bearing that sin on the cross. He is taking the punishment that we deserve in order that we might live, that we might be forgiven, that we might have life in Jesus Christ. He's hanging there and having the very wrath of God. Paul made it clear in Romans chapter 1 that the wrath of God is being poured out against all sin, against all unrighteousness, against all ungodliness. That's a clear thing. And at that moment, the very wrath of God was being poured out on Jesus, his son, because he was taking on himself our sin. Is it any wonder that he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he was forsaken, but he wasn't forsaken. The sense of it was great. The Apostles' Creed, one of the great historical documents of the Christian faith, one of the earliest expressions of what Christians believe, the Apostles' Creed had a little phrase in there. It said, and he descended into hell. Paul said to the Ephesian Christians that he ascended on high and how could he have ascended unless he had descended into the lower parts of the earth and, and what we don't understand is in their idea this is the lower parts of the earth but when the Apostles Creed says that he descended into hell he's not talking about him going to the lake of fire and going to the place where where the where Satan and his angels and all their minions will be cast one day but he's talking about what Jesus experienced on that cross. My friend, that was the, the hell of the cross was hanging there and experiencing the wrath of God for your sin and my sin. And the only thing he could cry out is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was dark because, because the light of God was not seen because the wrath of God was being poured out. It's a horrible thing. It was more agonizing than you could ever imagine. I know Mel Gibson did the film a few years ago, The Passion of the Christ, and everybody looked at that and said, wow, this is terrible. The beatings he took, the, the scourging, scourgings he took, the, the, the spitting upon him that he took, the, the pain of carrying that cross and falling under the weight of it, and then being hung there and, and bleeding and sweating and, and then having his side pierced and, and all of these things that are, are just horrendous physically. But I contend to you today that that was the easy part. The worst part was, it was what we sang about earlier. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. 
He who had no sin took our sin upon himself so that we who have no righteousness might be made the righteousness of God and given life in him. So he cried out, Father, God, why have you forsaken me? Then he made the statement in John's gospel. He, he cried out with a loud voice. If you put your finger there, you can go ahead and look. If not, just hear it. In John's gospel, chapter 19 and verse 30, after saying that he was thirsty, after being given the sour wine, John says, therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. It is finished. What was finished? Was he talking about his suffering was finished? I've hung here for hours, and the pain has been excruciating, and, and now it's over. It is finished. The pain is gone. I'm dying. I've got a feeling that as a lot of people watched on that cross that day, watched the, the Son of God hanging on that cross, I've got a feeling there was a lot of interpretation going on to those three words, it is finished. You know? I have a feeling that, that the Roman soldier standing at the foot of the cross said, yeah, it's finished. This, this preacher that's caused us so much problem, so, so many headaches as he's walked around the, uh, Jerusalem and Galilee and, and other places and we've had to watch him and the crowds have come and, and they wanted to call him a king when we're the ruling body. Yes, it's finished. This rabble-rouser is done for. I imagine... Imagine the Jewish leaders who had been complicit in his arrest and his phony trial and his crucifixion, who had incited the people to cry out on that night when he was arrested, uh, do you want, Bar you want me to give us Barabbas? Or do you, you want, what do you want us to do with Jesus? Give you Jesus or give you Barabbas? And they said, give, me, give us Barabbas, the criminal, set him free. Well, what do I do with Jesus? And they cried out, crucify him crucify him I can't help but think that the religious leaders who refused to see Jesus as Messiah as the Son of God I can't but help but imagine they stood off to the side with a smirk and a grin on their face saying yeah it's finished and we can get back to religion as normal as usual I even think Satan must have been crouching nearby behind a rock somewhere. Certainly afraid to show his face. But crouching there just watching the Son of God. He knew this was the Son of God. James says the demons in hell know that he's the Son of God and they tremble. One of the deacons in the, uh, that was in, in, uh, in one of the men that Jesus healed that he cast a demon out of said, said, Who are you? What do you have to do with us, O Holy One of God? knew who he was I just have a feeling Satan was smirking a little bit and saying you know I've killed the Son of God I've won it is finished and the victory is mine I don't you understand Jesus didn't mean any of that 
The word he used, it is finished, is just one word in the Greek. He just cried out one word, and it's an accounting word. Many of you understand accounting and, and thinking a lot about it right now, because in three days you've got to account for some stuff. And if you're like me, you're going to have a debt there. You're going to have to pay. But this word, it is finished, is an accounting term that typically would be written across a debt. Basically saying it's paid in full. There is no longer a lien against it. There's no longer a demand against it. This is paid in full. And that's what Jesus was saying. He was saying it is finished. Not the pain, not the ministry I came to do, not, not the, the truth I came to teach, none of that. He was saying it is finished. The purpose for which I came into the world one to preach sermons, one to heal people, one to feed 5,000 or 4,000 or, or, or uh, do all these miracles to mystify the people. That wasn't why I came. I came into this world for one reason and one reason only. I came as the Lamb of God. I came to go to that cross. I came to be a sacrifice. I came to be a substitute. And that is done. That is finished. That is complete. And the debt that we owed, who are his children, those who come to him by grace, through faith, in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, have those words stamped upon our life. It is finished. It is paid in full. The debt has been erased. And that's a glorious truth of it is finished. John says, he then bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Luke adds a little statement that he made there. After Luke recorded, Father, forgive them for knowing what they're doing and telling the, the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. It says in verse 46 of chapter 23 of Luke's gospel, it says, And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God and saying, certainly this man was innocent. Certainly this man was the son of God. There's significance in those words. After he cries, it is finished and his mission has been accomplished, then he gives his life willingly. Don't you understand this? Pilate couldn't kill him. The Roman soldiers couldn't kill him. The, uh, the, the Jewish leaders couldn't kill him. Satan couldn't kill him. The world had no authority over him. The masses there could have been obliterated with just a word. They couldn't kill him. Jesus said, I didn't, I didn't come into the world to set up an earthly kingdom. I came in the world to redeem a people. And no one can take my life, but I will gladly lay down my life for my friends. And on that cross, it is finished, and into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last. You see, he really could have called 
Elijah. That's what some thought he was doing when he cried, it is finished. They said, oh, he's calling for Elijah to come save him. No, he wasn't calling for Elijah. Other, others could have, the, 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 the unrepentant thief on the cross said, why don't you save yourself and save us too if, if you're really the son of God? He could have done that. But that's not what he came to do. He didn't come to just wow the people with some razzle-dazzle on the cross whereby he could come down and say, see what I can do. He came to pay the price. He came to be the sacrifice. He came to be what God the Father willed him to be and sent him to be into this world. Oh, we'll debate it and we'll argue it and we'll write articles about it. The, the Lexington paper yesterday was just filled with amazing things. One Baptist pastor said, why would God need an innocent victim? Well, because only an innocent sacrifice could stand in our place. I can't die for your sins because I'm a sinner. You can't die for your children's sins. Or you can't die for your parents' sins. We're, we're all in the same boat. We have, have not obeyed the law to perfection, which is God's standard. But he did. And in doing that, he could stand in our place. Another says, well, don't worry about it. Jesus will save the unbelievers too. In the final analysis, it's, it's, everybody's going to be saved. So just eat, drink, and be happy for tomorrow you die. But that's okay. Because everybody's included. That sounds really nice to the American ears that wants everything to be fair and everything to be on the same even kill. But that's certainly contrary to what God's Word says. That says, listen, you want to have life? Then come to Jesus. You want to have life? Trust in Jesus as Messiah, as Savior, as Lord of your life. Come by the grace of God and put your faith and put your trust in Christ and Jesus said, follow me. Come and repent. What in the world? Well, the thief on the cross repented. He said, I, he looked at the other thief and said, why do you mock him? Don't you even fear God? We're getting what we deserve. We're sinners. We're criminals. We're hanging here getting what we deserve. This man is innocent. And he's hanging here with us. Do You see in that statement the, the two-sided coin, if you will, of repentance and faith? Repentance means acknowledging that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And repentance means I will turn from that and turn to Christ. I will trust Him as my sacrifice. I will trust Him as my substitute. Because I can't save myself. I can't be good enough to please God. I can't live up to the law perfectly. I can't even follow the Beatitudes without the grace of God filling my life. I come to Christ. You know, we come together this morning for the purpose of celebration and for the purpose of hearing what God says. I, I'm just telling you what he says. I don't have anything for you from Bill Haynes. I don't, I don't have anything to give you except to point you to what God has said. And God says, come to my son. If you're, if you're heavy burden, 
if you're carrying a heavy burden and a heavy load, then, then come to Christ because he will lift that burden and lift that load. Maybe you're here hurting this morning and, and you've been through a lot of pain and you, just, you want to say, God, why me? Well, look to the cross and say, God, why him? Why did Jesus suffer as he suffered without any reason? except to bring life to you and to me. I invite you this morning to consider Christ, the Savior. Consider Christ, the Lord. He'll never fail you. I'll fail you. I'll let you down. Everybody in this room will fail you at some time or another. Christ never will. If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ, I invite you come to him in repentance and in faith and put your trust in him would you pray with me father lord we bow before you this morning this day that we acknowledge he is risen he is risen indeed on the day that over 2,000 years ago you, Peter was shocked and John was shocked and the Marys were stunned and, and everybody was just wondering and the chief priest tried to spin it Oh, just tell them his disciples came and stole the body. Lord, his disciples were hiding, scared for their own lives. They tried to spin a lie to cover up the truth. Father, I rejoice this morning that you are alive. And I rejoice this morning, Lord, that we can worship you and bow before you and trust in you. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit this morning would move among this body. Lord, that you would convict of sin and a need for a Savior and draw men and women to yourself and young people to yourself, O oh Lord. Father, I pray that you'd be glorified. Father, we come this morning to say we need you. We need a Savior. And to acknowledge, Lord, that you are the only Savior. You yourself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, but by me. Father, I pray you lead many to, your, to the Father this morning by your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn is going to be the one we sang.